when your understanding of the true nature of things grows, Sayadaw says, your values in life will change. And when your values change, your priorities will change as well. And through such understanding, you will naturally practice more, and this will help you to do well in life. I think all of us want to do well in life. And I think coming to a retreat like this and practicing the Dhamma is one way that we look to do well or hope that it will help us do well in life. Because to do well in life is not, is not easy. Or I should say, it's a, <clears throat> it's a lifelong pursuit. It's a lifelong endeavor. Because we're not just born with a sense of well-being that is easy to maintain. <clears throat> there are just so many uh, choices and decisions and conditions that we have to deal with in life that we get to choose, really, the lifestyle we'll live. But we often don't get to choose the conditions we get to pick from. So we have to do the best we can, and uh, we can see that while many conditions in our life are a given, there's certainly a lot of uh, choice. And the choices we make are going to profoundly affect how we live and our sense of well-being. In one sense, we could say that awareness and well-being and the resultant happiness that is promised through awareness is really a lifestyle choice. If we choose to practice, we see that we have a choice. If we don't practice and really see that those moments of freedom in the mind, those moments of liberation in the mind, those moments when we're not obsessed or just acting out of blind reactivity and conditioning, but when we really have a choice, then we see that we are free to choose if we practice and recognize the opportunity. The Buddha was asked about the conditions for well-being and happiness in life when he was asked in the Mahamangala Sutta, what are the highest blessings in life? What contributes to happiness? And when he was asked about blessings, we should understand that blessings are not necessarily being touched on the head by the Dalai Lama or you know, some other spiritual guru, but really they're whatever conditions uh, we live with that conduce to happiness. Some that are offered to us, some that we cultivate ourselves, some that are uh, just adventitious. In the Buddha's identification of these blessings, there are many that we can resonate with, some that we'll question, and some that we may not really understand. But it's instructive to review them 
and by reviewing them to identify those that we have already and to see how they contribute to uh, a sense of well-being in our life and to be grateful for them. On the other hand, there are those that we'll identify as being pretty absent or deficient or minimally in our life and if possible we could choose to practice or choose to um, position ourselves to receive those blessings, those boons, those conditions, if it's possible within our practice. So I want to review these blessings and just to um, kind of review the 38 of them and then to pick a couple to talk about in more detail. But as I read this list, just see which of these that the Buddha identified as blessings in our life, which most resonate with you as a source of well-being or happiness in your life, and which are kind of vague or not apparently a blessing or a source of happiness in your life. And it's interesting that the first two that the Buddha identified are blessings that we have access to here on retreat. Not to associate with foolish people, for the most part, (laughs) and to associate with wise people, or have some degree of wisdom. Now, it seems so obvious that, yeah, if you have to associate with pretty careless and not very wise beings, then it's not going to be for your benefit. And if you do, there's a potential of, of benefit. I want to speak more about that later. Another blessing is to honor the worthy. Now, we might ask, well, who are the worthy? Who, who among us are worthy of honor. And I think that to be able to identify those that are worthy and to honor them, to be able to identify them even, is a blessing. To recognize what qualities of being and who has those qualities are really worth emulating or worth valuing or that we find as supportive in our life. The fourth is to reside in a suitable location. Well, we all live in the West and we have access to the material resources of terrific abundance. And in some sense, that's a good foundation, but is it really the most suitable location? I think when the Buddha was talking about suitable location, you know, having... uh, a hospitable climate, having abundant food, not suffering famine, uh, having uh, kind of a safe environment where there's not kind of perpetual war, having um, material needs met to a, at least a minimal degree. And we in the 21st century West can think of a whole lot more conditions that we think are suitable 
or we think are necessary to have a suitable location. The fifth is to have done good deeds in the past or to be be endowed with merit, which is a condition that we experience on this retreat. Think of it this way. How is it that you are able to hear the Dharma, value it, choose to practice, and get some benefit? I mean, it's so obvious to us that practicing the Dharma is really is a good thing to do. Really, personally, uh, just one of the most rewarding things we can do in our life. And yet there are just an immense <coughs> number of people, beings, that have the opportunity to hear the Dharma. They don't take the opportunity. Or there are many who take the opportunity to have some access to the Dharma but they don't really practice. There are some who hear the Dharma, take the opportunity to practice, but maybe insincerely. Or they start, but they don't continue. Why? Why is that? Well, in the Buddhist understanding of the development of mind, there would be some understanding that they just didn't have enough karmic merit to hear, appreciate, practice, continue practice, realize the Dharma to the degree that uh, is really liberating. And yet, all of us have endured at least a week, and some of us many years, decades of practice. Is that a blessing in your life? Is it a boon? Is it a source of happiness to be able to hear the Dharma, practice the Dharma, have some some degree of realization of the Dharma, the value of the Dharma in your life. I think all of us would agree. To regulate oneself rightly, or to to behave, basically. To behave in life. To, to kind of watch your energy, watch your diet, watch your health. Do what you can to um, guard your mind uh, and take care of yourself. And we have that opportunity. Now, whether we do it, you know, that's... We all have our limits and we all have our challenges, but we have the opportunity, whereas many beings on the face of the earth don't. don't. They just have much more limited resources, limited opportunities, Um, maybe just have a a lot of terrific amount of misinformation, not that we don't, but um, and nearly not know how to regulate themselves. But at least we have an open society and pretty freely available information and maybe too much but nevertheless if we do our work and we are sincere in our efforts then we can we can get the information to learn how to take care of ourselves fairly well to speak well or to be well spoken it says we have the opportunity I'm not sure we always take it because if you just look in your own life at how much we speak or how much we listen, how much we're engaged with the use of words and dialogue, we can see that it's a tremendous amount and there's a tremendous amount of suffering that comes from careless speech, um, inappropriate speech, useless speech, uh, harmful speech, misinformation, 
blatant deception. And we're just barraged with uh, misinformation daily. And, or just outright deception. And we have a choice to believe it or not, to hang with that kind of chatter or not, and to choose to be really careful about how we use, how we listen, how what we hear, is to be able to have a choice is really uh, our, our responsibility and an opportunity to support our own happiness. To be well-educated and knowledgeable. We in this room are all at the top of the heap. You know, we have... We live in a pretty um, rare elite on the face of this earth, having the material goods for the education that we do and to be knowledgeable and to be savvy in the ways of the world and uh, which a lot of people just do not have, just don't have the means, don't have the support, don't have the opportunity, don't have the resources. You know, when you just... I'm only on number eight. When you think of all of the benefits, the conditions we have for happiness in our life, it's like you begin to wonder, well, why aren't we so obviously so much more happy all the time? To be skilled in handicraft in the sciences. This is really to know, uh, you know how, to, how, to, how to live domestically, civically, uh, socially, psychologically, emotionally, to just have the skills of, you know, balancing a checkbook, uh, knowing where to get your groceries, or having having them available. And to be well-trained and highly disciplined. This is also, um, you know, in our, in our society, it's like we don't even think of really not being well-trained and, and somewhat disciplined. But there are places in the world where it is not safe for men or women. Not safe for women most places in the world, but it's not safe for men in a lot of places too. Where it's just, you know, lawless. <coughs> lawless. Or uh, people are taken advantage of much more readily than we are here. And then the Buddha goes on to say, to care for your mother well, and to care for your father well, is a blessing in your life. At first it was like, oh yeah? Tell me about that. But think of it this way. Imagine if you could not care for your mother and father. And they're in their old age and they're going through the inevitable decline and whatever level of deprivation and suffering that they, we too, will eventually experience. And all you could do was see it and you couldn't do anything about it, you couldn't care for them. That would be agony. No matter how, I mean, we all have had our difficulties and challenges with our parents in one way or another, but when it comes to that, we all would want to do what we could. But to not be able to would really be a source of suffering, personal suffering to us, to see that. To look after your partner, your spouse, your children, to have that kind of uh, capacity to be able to care for, support in a way that's uh, uh, 
relieves them of unnecessary suffering. To engage in a harmless occupation, to be able to provide for yourself financially in a way that uh, doesn't hurt others in whatever, in whatever way you can imagine so many occupations do. To act without harming, to be able to live in the world and move about so that you're not required to harm others, whether you're being conscripted into the military or just living in a, a more brutal society than we're familiar with. And to perform blameless actions, to be able to be generous, to be able to be kind, and to, to treat others in a way that causes no blame to yourself. To be blamed, whether justified or not, is really painful when you think about it. To be blamed for causing others harm or uh, being responsible for distress in the world, it's really a burden to, to feel that kind of responsibility. The Buddha goes on to say, to be generous with your relatives, because if, we're, if our relatives are in need and we're able to support them in some way, uh, it's a lot of suffering to... Well, if we can't support them, if we don't have the means, that's one level of suffering, but if we choose not to, there's some constriction in the mind too. Although, you know, let's face it, we need to exercise some discretion, some discernment, uh, maybe place boundaries on that and use a, you know, our best wisdom, but nevertheless, to be generous with your relatives can be a source of happiness. And to be generous, to give selflessly. To abstain from evil, to avoid intoxicants, both <coughs> boons, opportunities that we're practicing here, to abstain from intoxicants, to um, abstain from evil, to avoid intoxicants. Actually, the lifestyle that we live here is really full of wholesomeness, full of good intention, full of generosity, full of kindness, full of love, full of gratitude, full of awareness, full of understanding. As challenging as it is, of course, to be and do the practice and to live in a community, a big community like this in a small space, and it, it's got its challenges. Still, it's not a bad way to live. To be diligent in virtuous practice, another opportunity that we have here, another source of happiness that we have here, because all of our practices here, reverence precepts, mindfulness, uh, service to others, the service of the community, uh, awareness, insight, gratitude, generosity, these are all uh, virtuous practices. They, they are more, uh, they ennoble our lives to engage in these practices. To be reverent, to be humble, certainly here, to be content, we're working on it, and to be grateful. Well, look to your own heart and see if whatever you have done or received or benefited from in this retreat, whether it's something you can be grateful for. There's just a lot of opportunity here for cultivating the uh, sources of, of happiness in our life. 
Then he gets into the whole area of practice in the Dharma, one of which is to hear the Dharma at the right time. Another opportunity that we have here, this evidently is the right time for you, and we've been talking about the Dharma and sharing the Dharma and discussing the Dharma, and let's face it, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of information in our life which is not the Dharma. There's just a lot of chatter, there's a lot of um, periodicals, there's a lot of web surfing, there's a lot of material that just doesn't, doesn't support our highest aspirations in life. And yet, I'm not sure that there's much that is better than the Dharma for inspiring, uh, cultivating your aspiration, and even encouraging you to do your best to really recognize the potential that we each have within us and to aspire to fulfill it, to realize it. And as challenging as it is, and as uh, uh, it's, not, it's not easy, and it's not clear that we're making you know, vast strides in progress, at least we're not going backwards. You know? And that's, you can't say that about everything we do in life. And to be patient. Have you had to be patient during this retreat? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes there's opportunities to be patient here too. Also, you might think now, why is to be patient a, a blessing, a source of happiness in your life? Well, if you know what patience is, and you recognize the need to be patient, and you can be patient, that's a source of happiness. If you don't recognize the need for patience, and you don't have any patience, well, that's not happy. That's not happiness in the making. Now, here's one that was really kind of confused me initially, and I had it translated, or I got the translation, to be obedient. That's like, what? To be obedient is a source of happiness? Well, it must be my Western mind. But actually, I looked up the, the word, and it was to be docile. And you know, when I first saw the word docile, I thought, well, it's something like a cow, you know, just kind of <laughs> hanging at the fence, just kind of docile. But that's not, what, that's, not, that's not what docile means. Docile means to be teachable, to be trainable, to be willing to learn. And that, to have that opportunity and to be willing to learn is a source of happiness. To visit with spiritual people, well, hopefully we're all spiritual people here, and so visiting with each other, that's good. And to live simply, well, at least for the week, we've lived pretty simply. And to live purely, meaning to keep your mind in uh, a wholesome space as much as possible. That's good. Then moves on to the true, to the Dharma, to see the noble truths. Well, I don't know. Have you seen the truth of suffering this week? Yes. Have we seen the truth of the cause of suffering, craving? For sure. Have we seen the end of suffering? Momentarily. And have we, <laughs> have we developed the noble eightfold path, the fourth noble truth? Yeah. All of our, all of our behavior, all of our actions. 
And so we've had the opportunity to live and to see the Four Noble Truths this week. And then he goes on to say, to realize the liberated mind. Well, let's just kind of bring it down to earth. You know, have you experienced moments of uh, freedom from the obsessive defilements? That's temporary liberated mind. So yeah, we've had some of that. And then to cultivate a mind unshaken by the worldly conditions, the worldly conditions of pleasure, pain, gain, loss, fame, disrepute, praise and blame. And it's really equanimity, you know, the balance of mind that is able to withstand these inevitable conditions that we all experience. Pleasure and pain. Maybe we still have some pain, but maybe we can endure it a little more skillfully, have a little more balance about it on day six and seven than on day one and two. So we could say, okay, yes, we are cultivating a mind less shaken by the worldly conditions. To be free of anxiety. If you don't listen to the news, that's that's pretty good. You can be free of that anxiety. And to be stainless and pure and to be secure and safe. Well, these are... Uh, There's a whole range of what that means, to be pure, to be secure, to be safe. Just to be here in a secluded place and protected, that's that's good. But to really seclude your mind and to have a safe mind and to be uh, pure of mind is a better place, which is what we're doing, practicing the Dharma to do that. So when we we review this list of... uh, 38 blessings, 38 causes of happiness in our life. We're we're doing really good. We really have a lot. We have a lot of opportunity to be happy, to feel supported in living a a good life, living a, a noble life. The first two were to avoid the foolish and to associate with the wise. And I want to just speak a little bit about that. Because the Buddha said he could see no condition, no external condition that was more conducive to suffering than to associate with the foolish. And no condition, no external condition that was more uh, conducive to happiness and ennoblement than to associate with the wise. Because who we associate with will gradually, if not quickly, um, guide our behavior in their direction. And, you know, we don't have to pretend that we're so immune to the influence of others that we can go our own way while in the midst of them. And if we, you know, hang out with bad hats of whatever stripe you can recognize, you know, we're going to begin to think and act like that. And if we hang out with and associate with those who are, um, you know, complacently comfortable with contemporary, mundane Lifestyle, we can be sure, we'll be kind of ensnared in that. But if we associate with those who have 
uh, an aspiration for those who recognize the noble qualities of the heart and are doing something about it, then we're going to feel inspired and aspire to ennoble our own heart. So to associate with the wise is really not just to hang out with, but to find someone, those who have the wisdom, we call them spiritual friends, kalyanamitas, to have the spiritual friends that can display to you how it is. Those who are kind, those who are wise, those who are patient, those who can, not to toot horns, but those who can share or point out the Dharma to you, those who can guide your path of the Dharma, those who have a sense of moral uh, integrity, those who are generous. These are all qualities of a wise and noble person. And when we see them in action, then we can recognize our own potential. If we never see them in action, we may not recognize our own potential and may never aspire to realize it or to fulfill it. So it's said that, you know, Kalyanamitas are those who have faith and inspire faith. Those who are learned in the Dharma and share it. Those who are energetic in cultivation of the mind and guide you to be also. Those who are mindful, those who are possessed of wisdom. And not only do they offer kind of friendliness and guidance on the path, but, and this is a hard this is the hard part of being a spiritual friend. They can offer admonishment. They can see where we're off track, where we're kind of going into the ditch on the side of the road, following, falling off the path of practice, really, and can somehow let us know, can somehow point us back to uh, more care, more awareness, more understanding, and... It's not just kind of a feel-good friend. It's sometimes a friend who can actually offer hard advice, but wise advice. And just to let you know, Vance and Alexis, it's not easy. (laughs) So when it's your turn, you'll see. It's not easy. But to offer uh, guidance, instruction, and to represent some level of realization of what we aspire to. This is a spiritual friend. And among uh, Dharma teachers in the West, we are more comfortable having that role, being a spiritual friend, just someone who's on the path with you, sharing our experience and understanding, rather than as in Asia where the teachers are really kind of the moral authority, the moral and dharma authorities. And mostly in the West we don't put ourselves in that category, but rather we're more comfortable with just recognizing that we're all on the path and some of us are a step ahead or a step behind or a little to the left, a little to the right, and we're able to share our 
experiences, our joys, sorrows, challenges, aspirations with each other and support each other in that way. Because the Buddha said, you know, when questioned by Ananda, he said, you know, this spiritual life, this holy life of trying to really ennoble our lives to um, to really make the best use of our life, our human life, is um, it's a community effort. We do it for ourselves, or we do it alone by ourselves, but we need the support of a whole community. Because it would just be too hard, it would be too isolated, too... Um, Too much opportunity to derail and go off track if we were alone. But lest we think that the you know the monk in the cave for you know thirty four years or whatever it was, or anyone that's living in isolation in remote hermit uh, or monk or nun, they are woven into the web of the community, whether they're participating in the daily activities of the community or not. They live within the understanding of a spiritual community. So to take periods of time of isolation or seclusion, whether it's a retreat like this or a longer retreat or whether you're alone or in a group, we're still held within the community of uh, other spiritual seekers who appreciate, acknowledge, understand what it is that we're doing. Living the spiritual life is 100% about having good spiritual friends, the Buddha confirmed. I mentioned the Mahasasayadar's encouraging counsel earlier today. And he says, in, in part, he says, let there be only a few things that you attend to, a few words that you say, and a few hours that you spend sleeping. Love, solitude, be willing to learn, docile, and seek good friends. These are the six factors which contribute to good dhammas. Good dhammas means um, wholesome qualities in your life uh, that lead to a sense of well-being. So let there be a few things that you attend to. Live simply, as simply as you can. Let there be a few words that you say. Speak carefully. And a few hours that you spend sleeping. Be diligent. Love solitude, which is not loneliness, but it's learning how to be alone and benefit from that. How to love solitude. And be willing to learn. This is a good a question to ask yourself when you're faced with teachings like these or practice situations are you willing to learn primarily about yourself do you really want to know what makes you tick do you really want to know what makes you suffer because that's the learning that's required in order to free ourselves from suffering it's it's personal it's a very personal uh, endeavor. Learning the books is fine, but learning yourself is essential. And then seek good friends. You know, as I mentioned this afternoon, 
if you can find a companion that you can share your dharma aspirations with and your dharma challenges with, then one one friend like that is worth uh, a dozen social friends that lead you in the other direction. In the Anguttara Nikaya, the Buddha said, These two kinds of person are rare in the world. One who takes the initiative in helping others, and one who is grateful and thankful. These two kinds of individuals are rare. Those who take the initiative to help others, proactively not necessarily even in response to, but just proactively see the opportunity, make the opportunity or take the opportunity to help others and those who are grateful and thankful. Well, here in the West, there's been a huge uh, research effort into the benefits of gratitude. I don't know if you've ever looked online to see the, some of the research, but it's just immense. And the uh, prevailing consensus, or the emerging and confirmed and prevailing consensus is that gratitude is the most effective intervention for engendering a sense of well-being. And to just count your blessings daily, or to even read through this list of the blessings that the Buddha said, and to acknowledge for yourself it engenders a sense of well-being that is not dependent on your finances, your accomplishment, your job, but it really is dependent on these intrinsic qualities of care, consideration, friendship, intimacy, striving, diligence. And this kind of... uh, Gratitude is available to all of us all the time. There's so much in our lives that we can be grateful for, as the Buddha, as the Buddha pointed out. <clears throat> but the study, study in positive psychology, which studies what goes right with people, what causes people to flourish, not just to survive and to become resilient and to achieve fulfillment and meaning in their life and to be thankful for what one has or receives top of the list and to acknowledge that good things happen to us often without our um, active seeking or uh, participating in anything to make it happen good things happen to us and when we recognize that and we connect to that source of goodness that's outside of ourselves, outside of our own efforts, then we really uh, connect with uh, kind of the, the source of goodness in our life, and gratitude for that is immense. It said that gratitude or an attitude of gratitude enhances happiness as a 
positive emotion and all positive um, emotions uh, more than anything. So it's something to really consider as a, a daily practice, I think, to reflect on the conditions of our life, either at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, and just to acknowledge what, what it is today. What did you experience today? What did you do today? Who did you meet today? What did you receive today that you feel grateful for? In the exercises and some of the research that they do, they have, they have people write a gratitude letter to a mentor or a teacher or a benefactor or someone who has supported them that they haven't really taken the opportunity to thank and appreciate. And they said that when people write that letter, whether they deliver it or not, they feel so much uh, gratitude and sense of well-being for a sustained period of time to just recognize this has been a benefit in their life. And we've all had people like that. We've all had uh, known or unknown uh, benefactors and mentors and teachers and people who've cared for us in a ways that was beyond mere responsibility. And we should remember that. With all that we have and all that we see that the Buddha pointed to as source of happiness, we have to ask ourselves, if we're not really happy and we're not really content, then why not? Because it is really our, our choice. We can emphasize the positive, or we can focus on the negative or the limitations, but it's a choice that we make. And really, it's our practice that is going to decide for us who we associate with, how we practice, that's going to bring into view either the boons and the sources of happiness in life, or the challenges and the deficiencies and the whinging and whining that undermines happiness in our life. Upandita's uh, admonition in, in um, practice is, he says, it, it is more important to live a worthy life, to strive to ennoble your life, than to merely strive for success. It's important to live a worthy life, to really use your human life for the best you can. Not just success by anyone else's standards but to really ennoble your life as much as possible. And we have that opportunity just listening to the Dharma and having the opportunity to practice the Dharma and to realize as much as we can. And as Saito Tejaniya confirms and understands, when your understanding of the true nature of things grows, your values in life will change. And as your values change, your priorities will change as well. And through such understanding, you will naturally 
want to practice more. And this will help you to do well in life. Practice is the way to a sense of well-being in our life. Let's sit for a moment and let the words quiet down. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.